Good morning to you all. If we haven't met, my name is Dan. I am dropping stuff. This is my timer so that we can all get out by lunchtime. Uh, lovely to see you all. I get the joy of being one of the leaders here and carrying on our series speaking from the book of Acts. And the big idea of this series is that the world is turned upside down by continuing Jesus's mission. So the Bible is all about Jesus, it's all about his mission. And in the book of Acts, after Jesus has gone back up to heaven, we begin to see how that mission continues through the disciples and through his church. And the last couple of Sundays, we've been tracking uh, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, who has uh, met Jesus in an extreme vision, and he began to preach. And he was preaching kind of north of Jerusalem around Damascus and Samaria. And now we're changing scenes and we're looking at Peter. Now Peter's going uh, to the coast, uh, to the, what is it, the west? should never try and pretend to know directions when it's live. To the west, we're going to say, where he is speaking. Uh, he's going to meet some people in uh, Lydda, which is modern-day Lod, and Joppa, which is modern-day Jaffa. You can still visit these places. And why I'm telling you about this geography is because this is the fulfillment of Acts 1 verse 8, where Jesus said to the disciples, my gospel is going to spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and then to the ends of the world. So that is what is beginning to happen here. We're going to track Peter for a few chapters uh, and then we're going to go back to Paul. Today, we're going to look at two events where people turn towards Jesus following signs and wonders. In particular, a healing of Aeneas and a rising from the dead, Tabitha. And my hope today is that these stories will impart some faith in you, that I haven't seen anyone raised from the dead, but maybe, just maybe, the possibility of that might grow in your heart as we look at these stories, as we look and begin to see that God is much bigger than perhaps we thought when we came in here. And that would be my prayer for you if you'd say you're part of the Liberty family or you're just here kind of exploring the claims and teachings of Christ today. If you're uh, trying to figure out what's going on this morning, that's where we're going. That's what I'm hoping, praying for. That as we look at these two tide events, you'll meet afresh the Jesus that this book is about. So let's jump into the first event, which is the healing of Aeneas, and it's in Acts 9, verse 32 to 35. And it says, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda, there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So what is going on here? Peter's been traveling around 
We know from earlier in Acts that it was what he loved to do, to go meet people, tell them about Jesus and preach to them. And there was one word here that I think it's the first time cropping up in the book of Acts that he calls the believers saints. And this isn't saints like we tend to think of them as dead people who did noble, perhaps spiritual things long ago, but he is calling the current believers, Christ followers, saints. So if we're here today and we'd say, yeah, I'm a Christ follower, then you just got sainted. What he means when he's calling you a saint is someone who uh, is set apart for God and who can approach God. And that's an important part of our identity as a Christ follower. You may call me Saint Dan just for today if you'd like to. What is interesting about this story is that Aeneas doesn't have any time to express any faith in Jesus. Like the, the narrative is very fast and we see Peter going in and saying, Jesus Christ heals you, rise. Peter clearly had faith and it's in the kind of the invoking of the name of Jesus Christ where the healing happens. And this guy Aeneas has been bedridden for eight years. And on those words, after eight years of being bedridden, the paralysis is healed, whatever caused the paralysis, the atrophied muscles are rebuilt and he gets up. And so it's not surprising that everyone in the town, because eight years is a long time, word would have spread that this guy was now paralyzed. So when he's healed, everyone wants to know about it. And two towns turn to the Lord, the one Aeneas's town and the one next door. Now in my last preach, which I don't expect you to remember, but I did talk a lot about healing and I built a case for healing happening today. I'm not gonna answer that question, but you can look back on our website and find it if that's a question you would like to have answered. I want us to look at the next event, even more extreme. So this is Acts 9, verse 36 to 43. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood behind him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. 
So what is going on here? There's this lady, we're told uh, she's called Tabitha, but also Dorcas in the Greek. And this is a little hint to what's happening next week where both languages are going to become increasingly important. But that's my teaser. She's called Tabitha and Dorcas. And she does many good works in the community, including looking after the widows. She made them clothes. Now, in first century uh, Jerusalem and surrounding coastal towns, if you were a widow in those times, you were extremely vulnerable. You didn't have a way to earn a living or to protect yourself. And so they would kind of look after one another and they'd look for others to help look after them. And this is what Tabitha did. It's very possible that she was a widow herself. She chooses to care for them, but she then falls ill and she dies. And when that happens, what do you do? You turn to try and find help. So they hear Peter's around uh, in the next town, which is about 20 kilometers apart. It's about a four hour walk. And so they call him. He walks back, so I guess about eight hours has probably passed since the moment of her dying. And when he finally gets there, he's greeted by lots of tears, by these widows showing him the clothes, kind of expressing the love that they had for Tabitha. And Tabitha is lying dead in the upper room. Peter prays. He says, Tabitha, arise. She opens her eyes and she does. Then Peter calls the other saints. It's the second time we come across that word. And the widows. The widows, we know, would have been Tabitha's friends. So he's calling them, come and see what God has done. And then the word spreads. And many believe in the Lord. And I can kind of picture these widows just wanting to to gossip about what their day had been like. Just going around telling everyone, you know, my friend died. And for eight hours, you know, she was lying there. And then Peter came and now she is alive. I mean, what an amazing testimony. So the question I want us to look at is why are these stories in the Bible? Why does Luke include them? What are we then to learn from them today? And the first thing is to point to Jesus. That's why they're there to show us that Jesus is part of this story. The result of these miracles is that many turn to the Lord. That it's Jesus who raises Tabitha from the dead and heals Aeneas. Peter's words, Jesus Christ heals you. We heard a few weeks ago uh, from Wilson about Simon the Amazing who claimed power for himself. Peter doesn't do that. He points to Jesus every time. And we know from previous chapters, even though we don't hear it today, that many would have turned because Peter would have then preached to them and would have talked more about Jesus. These accounts illustrate Jesus' power, his authority over sickness and death. And there's a few other, not many, but there's a few other accounts where Jesus raises people from the dead. And one you might have heard of is where he raises Lazarus from the dead. And just before he says to Lazarus, come out, 
he speaks to Martha, his sister, in John 11:25, and he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks her, do you believe this? And so Jesus is telling her that he has authority over life and death. He has authority over eternal life. He's also pointing to the fact that he's going to die on the cross and be resurrected. But she doesn't know about that yet. And then he calls Lazarus out of the grave after being there for three days. And this is an unusual power that he has. These accounts also point to Jesus' care for individuals. In these stories, we're given lots of little details where, which we need to take into account. So he includes their names, their locations. He, Luke writes about some of their history. We know that Tabitha was able to make clothes and she looked after widows. These are you know, extraordinary personal details. We know that Tabitha was much loved. We know that Aeneas was paralyzed for eight years. And this healing for Aeneas is an act of Jesus' personal care for him. Now, it's a beautiful thing when God heals. He doesn't always. And it can still, even in those moments, they can both occasions be times where we feel known and we feel loved by him. Now, these visits that Peter makes are as someone who cares, like a sheep who cares, like a shepherd who cares for his sheep. And ours is a personal, relational faith. It's not with an unknown or distant deity seeking appeasement, but with a God who came to earth and walked in our shoes. I feel like many of us need to hear today that Jesus knows your name. He knows your location. He knows what you do. He knows your current situation. And what's more, the, the Bible says that he personally cares for you. And it's important that we bring these two things together, Jesus' power and his care. Because it says that he's willing, his care, and he's able, his power. If he only had one or the other, if he was just powerful and able, but he didn't care, he'd be like a, a, a powerful but distant dictator or puppet master, or he wouldn't have any involvement. And if he just cared but had no power, then he'd be like you or I, just compassionate, but not able to heal. But we've got to believe that he's both, that he's powerful and he's caring. I'm, gonna, I'm talking today a bit more about his power than his care, but I just sense that some of us need to hear today that he is able and he cares. The second thing, second reason why Luke includes these stories is to show Jesus' continuing mission through the church. So when Jesus was on the earth, there's a time where he sends out the 12 disciples and he says to them, in Matthew 10:7, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And then he tells them to do this, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, 
to cleanse those who have leprosy, to drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely you give. And they come back and they are amazed at the reports. Uh, they're having been amazed at the things that they have seen. But actually, the one thing they don't see or isn't recorded, we don't hear about them seeing, is a raising from the dead. That only seems to happen in Acts 9. Both of these two events, Aeneas' healing and Lazarus' and Tabitha's raising from the dead, should remind you, could remind you, of the miracles that Jesus performed when he was on earth in person. And maybe you remember that when Jesus went to visit uh, Jairus' daughter, and she too was raised from the dead, actually, Peter, what Peter does here, because he was present with Jesus when that happened, what Peter does is, is a model of what Jesus taught him to do. Let me just read those verses in uh, Luke 8. They won't come up on the screen. Uh, so Jesus, when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except for Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all who were weeping and mourning for her, but all of everyone else was weeping and mourning for her, but he said, do not weep for she's not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. Or in the Aramaic, it would be uh, uh, Talita Kum. I'm not sure if my pronunciation is right. And her spirit returned. She got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. So Peter does the same thing. You know, he leaves the mourners outside. He goes in, he prays. Instead of saying Talita kum, in the Aramaic, he would have said Tabitha kum. One letter difference. And then he takes her by the hand as Jesus took her by the hand. And just like Jairus' daughter, Tabitha is raised. Now, what Luke's original readers or listeners would have heard is that one letter difference is pointing to the fact that Jesus' mission is continuing with Peter. And Peter just saw someone raised from the dead. So they would have had a, a, a rush of faith. It would have been a wow moment for them. That Jesus said we could do more than him, and Peter's done it. And that means that each of us can do it too. Now, Jesus trusts Peter as his ambassador his representative on earth and that's how he sees us too he's trusting each of us who'd say we're Christ followers to represent him now in my view that's an extremely high risk strategy because I know me but that's what Jesus is like he doesn't say achieve this level of morality or spiritual spirituality and then you can call yourself a saint Rather, when we acknowledge Jesus as Lord and submit to that lordship, he says we're in, we're part of his family. In fact, we're also described in the Bible as kind of being in Christ. Now we hear of people at famous events dressed in black or dressed in another color. 
It's more than that. That's just an external thing. And maybe you can think about being in your family where there's a blood connection. Well, it's even more than that. To be in Christ is this, this all-encompassing spiritual, metaphysical um, joining that we are in. So we're in him, and then he gives us a mission. Rather, he extends his mission to include each one of us. So that's the second reason. The third reason Luke includes the story is to increase our faith in Jesus. So these stories show that Jesus' resurrection power is still at work in those times, and it's pointing to today. This is the power we need. I mean, these are miraculous signs. They're rare. They're supernatural. Although they're working through natural means, they're extraordinary. And actually, if you're here and you wouldn't yet say you're a Christ follower, this should hopefully challenge the way you see the world a little bit. That maybe, just maybe, this might be true. What if miracles were possible today? But to those who'd say we're Christ followers, these stories should encourage us that we serve an omnipotent, all-powerful, caring God who answers prayer. You know, it happened in the Old Testament. It was recorded twice. Two healings, two raisings from the dead in the Old Testament. Elijah and Elisha. And Jesus uh, prays three times for people to be raised from the dead. And then we see the account of Peter today. And then a little bit later in Acts 20, we're going to see Paul raises someone from the dead as well. What's interesting for me is that most of these were young people, not all of them. Tabitha is a bit of an exception. But it kind of leads to the question of can people be raised from the dead today? And this is where I've got a bit of a book recommendation because I've never seen anyone raised from the dead. I've, I've heard the odd story. Well, book recommendation. Miracles Today by Craig Keener. So he is a New Testament professor uh, at a university. He's incredibly prolific. And actually, he's got a lot to lose in terms of reputation, which reassures me that he's not going to mess around. And in this book, he has... uh, Well, this book is actually an extension to his two-volume work, which is 1,100 pages, where he unpacks Can Miracles Still Happen Today? This is the extension of that. And he's got stories of healings. He's got stories of raisings from the dead in Africa, in Asia, in the West, in the news, not in the news, in his family, people he knows. He's got a lot of stories of things that happened and he has researched them and there are details and there are references. And as I read this, because frankly, I read it with some skepticism because I think, can this really happen today? And I remember what happens in the Bible, and I think, well, I want to believe it can, but I've never seen it. And let me read you one story. Obviously, the danger of me reading one is that you can leave here thinking this is the exception. But as I've read on, and I've read the tens of stories in here, 
I have to begin to conclude that maybe this isn't the exception. These people in different parts of the world, all of the, many of the accounts here are kind of in the last 10, 20 years. He does go back to the church fathers and looks at them too. And uh, there's stories of Augustine and Irenaeus, and then a bit more towards uh, a bit further forward to uh, John Wesley and the healings and the raisings from the dead they see. He's got a lot of evidence here. Let me read one to you. On a day in early autumn 2006, physicians in a Florida emergency room labored for almost 40 minutes to try to revive Jeff Markin. Following all the American Heart Association protocols, despite shocking Markin seven times, they were unable to revive him. As a cardiologist, Dr. Crandall confirmed that Markin was beyond resuscitation and Markin was declared dead shortly after 8 a.m. Crandall wrote his assessment and then started to return to his rounds. When he reports, he felt an unusual prompting from the Holy Spirit to return to the body, which the nurse was then preparing for the morgue. Markin's eyes were fixed and dilated and his face and extremities had turned black with cyanosis. He was unquestionably dead. Crandall did not feel much faith that day, but he obeyed, obeyed the prompting. Dr. Crandall prayed aloud for God to resuscitate Markin, giving him a second chance to know the Lord. Then he urged his colleague, the emergency room doctor, to shock Markin one more time. The colleague was reluctant, given their consensus that Markin could not be resuscitated, but he acquiesced out of respect for Crandall's request and shocked him. Suddenly, the flat line on the monitor jumped to a normal heartbeat, which does not normally occur even when the heart stops for a short time. In my more than 20 years as a cardiologist, Crandall notes, I've never seen a heartbeat restored so completely and suddenly with no help. Markin started breathing immediately and in just a few minutes, his extremities were moving and he was speaking. There are other such accounts. There are lots of references at the back. I want to read it and I want us to see a God who is bigger than we could imagine. These two accounts in Acts aren't about the recipient's faith. It's not about Aeneas's faith. I mean, Dorcas was dead. She couldn't express any faith. It's about Peter's faith. And this is the point. It's about his faith in Jesus. The grounds for his faith in Jesus' resurrection. His grounds for his faith was in Jesus' resurrection. And a bit later, he writes a letter. And in 1 Peter 1.3, he says that he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That Peter was aware that when he says, rise up to them, he's doing it through the resurrection because Jesus first rose up. That's where Peter's faith came from, and that's where ours can come from too. So how can we respond? 
Well, it's a bit of an implicit exhortation or perhaps a prophetic interpretation. But twice, Peter uses this verb to rise, to rise up. And I felt as I was preparing that this is what God wants to call us to do today as individuals, as a church, is to arise, is to rise up, is to respond to Jesus. And what does it look like? It looks like us responding in faith to him. Now we can struggle to believe today. Perhaps we've become camouflaged in our surroundings or perhaps we've become lethargic. But we live by sight. We can end up living by sight and not by faith. And many of us haven't seen many miracles. But I want us to fix our eyes on a God who is on the move. We're not dependent on what we've seen, but we're dependent on the resurrection and what he has done. I want to just briefly give us two encouragements that were given to our leadership team when we went to a conference a couple of weeks ago. And just as I was thinking about us arising, this first one came to mind. And that is one encouragement was to, it's time to stop sleepwalking in a war. That we as a Western church are it's like we're sleepwalking and we're not aware of what's going on around us, that we need to wake up. The speaker encouraged us, uh, it's time to stop sleepwalking in a war. The Western church has been doing this. There's an assault on unity like never before. There's an assault on fruitfulness. There is an assault on healing. We need to fight for one another in prayer and win through in prayer. We've been taking hits and we need to take a stand. So we're kind of weakened because we can lose sight of where we are, that this isn't like a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual battle. And Ephesians 6 uh, tells us that, that, uh, that it's not a battle against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So I'm talking, as I should be, so much more about Jesus and his resurrection, but we need to keep reminding ourselves because we can forget that we have an enemy, that he has angel helpers, demons, and that they want to rob us of faith. They want us to rob us of belief that miracles might happen today. And Ephesians goes on to uh, encourages us to kind of put on our spiritual armor. It talks about a helmet of salvation, a shield of faith that we can rise to extinguish the lies. So we can expect to take some hits that there might be opposition, there might be delay, there might be injury, but we can expect to take more victories. That prayers can be answered, that we can have peace, peace, in the midst of hard situations, that Jesus' love and presence can come to us even when fears creep in. I was thinking about John Wimber, who prayed. Uh, He was famous for seeing many miracles, many healing miracles, but he prayed for over 100 people before he saw the first one. That's holding up the shield of faith and saying, I'm going to believe in Jesus' resurrection. 
we may fear when we offer prayer, maybe it won't get answered in the way we expect. Or maybe we fear just sticking out. But actually, faith does mean that we take some risks. But we're motivated by Jesus and his love for a broken world. And we stand on his resurrection power. The second encouragement this speaker gave to us was that we needed to give ourselves to extraordinary prayer. And that's exactly where Hebrews 6, um, Ephesians 6 also goes to as well. Praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication to the end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication or prayer for all the saints. So we're to pray for one another. I think we often all feel like we should be praying more. We don't quite know how to. We need to give ourselves to extraordinary prayer. The speaker said, we start with our ordinary prayer and we do a little bit extra. That's how we give ourselves to extraordinary prayer. Start with our ordinary prayer, give ourselves to a little bit extra, do a little bit more. And then when that becomes ordinary, then we can give ourselves to a little bit more. And that becomes extraordinary. So my call to us today is to believe in Jesus Christ, the resurrected one. We continue to live in the kind of the now and the not yet that uh, Aeneas was healed, but eventually he died, died, that Tabitha was raised from the dead, but eventually she too died as well. Ultimately, all healings and resurrections are temporary on earth. But the Bible says that if each of them believed in Jesus, I believe that they did, that when they died on earth, they found themselves together with him in paradise, in heaven for all eternity. So all resurrections, all healings are signs to the one who has conquered death and disease that Jesus came to earth, he died, he was resurrected. Now I'm aware, even in this room, there'll be a range of skepticism. But we should have faith and believe in this because Jesus' resurrection is central to our faith. If we can't believe Tabitha or perhaps Henk down the road can't be resurrected, then we need to ask God for his help by his Holy Spirit to have more faith. And we can do that. We can ask him and he loves to give it to us. We can decide to believe in what Jesus has promised, that we can see even greater works than these. Can I invite you to stand to your feet? Because I want to invite you to believe in the resurrected one today. Will you put your trust in Jesus who raised himself from the dead? He raises others from the dead and is still raising others from the dead today. Will you let faith rise up in your heart and believe in a God way bigger than you ever imagined? More powerful, more caring, more present. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, won't you help us as individuals and as a church to rise up, God, where we, can, uh, where we can lose sight of how big you are, how powerful you are, how much you care, how you want us to keep 
extending your mission on earth. I pray that this morning would have provoked our hearts a little bit. It, I pray for faith, deposits of faith in the men and the women here, wherever they are, whether they'd say they're Christ followers or, or, or still exploring. I pray for faith to come down. And I pray that you would give us courage as we leave here, that, that maybe the next time we hear of someone with a headache, maybe a, an uncle or a, a colleague, that we might say, I believe in a Jesus who, who heals. He might heal you today. He might not, but can I pray for you? And I pray for courage to step out and to do that. Won't you pour out your spirit on us today, I ask. In Jesus' name. Amen.